filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Don't go to hater in sight. Yeah, that's not very good, Jason. No, it's terrible, which is why I was so amused by it. If it had been like an average play on words, I would have been, it was like, oh, that's unremarkable. But like, this was a I bad one. to study? Yeah, this was a bad one, and that's that's why I liked it. The fact that it was bad. I don't know what that says about me. Probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've turned into the, this slide into goats way more thoroughly than you probably should have. It's not healthy anymore. I still don't actually know very much about goats. I'm not like reading uh, like veterinary handbooks on like how to care for goats or anything like that. I'm not doing any anything at all to learn. I'm I, I'm really doing. I'm disappointing on all sides in this thing. You need to educate yourself, Jason. <laughs> there are other goats uh, in front of him. It's. <laughs> It's yeah. Every time someone says goat, we have to drink. Um, oh God! <laughs> that'll learn you. That'll learn all of you. It's a weeknight. My, my my actual legal advice is to not drink every time we say goat because you will die and we will not be responsible for it. it it's no, funny though. These these references are as close. Ben's not a lawyer. Uh, it, it's it's especially good because these references to Jurgen Klinsmann are as close as we're going to get to talking about the USA Costa Rica game. Other than my mentioning it right there, because we are not talking about it because nope. there's nothing to talk about. Nope. Uh-uh. Pass. <laughs> passing. Hard passing. I, on I, the I, stren- I strenuously object to that game. Okay, your, your objection Sustained. is noted. Sustained. Okay. I hate both of you so much right now. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam. They are the the Jokers in the middle, Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United and sometimes, unfortunately, the U.S. men's national team and lots more. Tonight, we've got a good show for you tonight because we're not talking about the national team. Instead, we're talking about DC United's 4-0 win over the Chicago Fire on Sunday. We're talking about MLS Decision Day coming up next Sunday, including DC United's season-ending trip to Columbus to face the crew. Before we get to anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so for no really, no really good reason, um, other than that it was there for a while, um, I've decided to go big tonight. I have... A bottle of Browery Van Steenberg's uh, Golden Drac. It's not just the normal Golden Drac, it's the Brewmaster's Edition, which is Golden Drac that's been aged in whiskey barrels. Um, wow. This was bottled February of 2014. They tell you that in the bottle. It's nice. Um, it's a 10.5% uh, Belgian strong dark ale, and it is it is living up to its promise. Uh, it's got like a, like a pear... And molasses, but like pear, pear is usually a weak flavor. A lot of things that 
a lot of fruit things that are made, like fruit roll-ups are mostly uh, pear pulp, it turns out. Um, this has, like, a pronounced pear flavor, like, um, not like a mass-produced pear, but, like, one you just pulled off of, a, like, the best pear tree. And, like, but also some, like, maybe, like, molasses sweetness, like that kind of sweetness. Um, it's not very dark color-wise, but it's it's awesome. Um, if you find it, it's in a Great. gold, a mostly gold bottle um, with a uh, some sort of ship that I, it's hard to describe. I guess it's this is the Drac. It's like a dragon-shaped boat for war, I assume. I, I don't know why you would make a dragon-shaped boat if not going to war. You're not showing up for peace in your... It's got it's it's a the dragon is literally blame uh, it's got fire coming out of its mouth like the boat it is a warship yeah this is a ship that when they show up you're like oh this is probably bad news um I don't know how that's related to the beer but it's on here is what I'm saying I, I mean, wanted to describe the boat. golden drac right here comes the drac so I'm I'm surprisingly happy with with my beer uh, I did not have as high hopes as you did um, I have a relatively long history of poo-pooing any and all pumpkin beers on this show and on our Twitter account. But I was talked into trying uh, Red Hook's Out of Your Gourd Pumpkin Porter, and you guys, it is a pumpkin beer that doesn't suck. Mm, this is a, um, actually, this it's is a actually pretty us. good. It's actually pretty good. It's a, it's a nice dark porter, and there's pumpkin in it. And it doesn't taste like, you know, uh, pumpkin spice fruit roll-up or something. It tastes like beer that has some pumpkin in it. It's it's kind of nice. If if Ben, if you're drinking a shandy, I think we should just end the show immediately. Thankfully, I'm not drinking a shandy. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am actually drinking a local Richmond beer because why wouldn't I be? Uh, I've got a plate of type, unlike Adam. Uh, tonight, so hey, I, I think we should grow as individuals. If our national team manager cannot show any uh, capacity for change and growth, I think we have to make up for that on this podcast. All right, well, that's change. I, I you can... said we weren't going to talk about the national team. Well, it, if I get a chance to, you know, bash on Klinsman right now, how can I not take it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, I'm just. I, I wanted to imbibe the fall. I wanted a fall beer because. I, I sometimes enjoy fall. I don't like its shortening hours and it's less daylight, but I do enjoy its temperatures and its uh, autumnal prettiness. So I'm drinking a Oktoberfest from Legend Brewery here in Richmond. And uh, nice. their brown ale is a very dark brown ale. It's dark and rich. It's not like a Newcastle, which is kind of on the lighter end of brown ales. And their Oktoberfest is very similar in that it is a darker, richer uh, Oktoberfest as well. So it's quite nice. Nice. Excellent. Let's, we, I, I don't have to regret talking about soccer this week. I get to happily turn into the soccer because DC United managed to have probably their performance of the year, albeit against relatively weak opposition. Chris Pontius scored late in the first half. Boswell, Espindola, and Sabario piled on in the second as DC United eased their way to a to a nice, chill 4 nothing win over the Chicago Fire, uh, who in the process clinched the wooden spoon for the year, claiming last place in MLS. Uh, Jason, this was the best scoreline of the year in MLS play for United. Would you say it was actually their best performance 
Uh, I'm not sure I'd go that far just because the Fire are kind of a broken team. As soon as DC got the first goal, um, they 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 had a few punches left, but that was pretty much it. They were there. I mean, as as we've seen in not the not distant past, um, when bad teams are really really truly bad, and and this loss consigned Chicago to dead last in the league this year. Um, when they give up the first goal, they tend to kind of die on their feet. There's not really much left in the tank uh, mentally for them, and that's pretty much what happened. It was really good to see DC make it count. Um, you know, you you get a team that is psychologically struggling. They they can't defend. Um, you get one, and you should probably be able to go and get some more. And it was nice to see that happen. Um, it was nice to see Bill Hamid left with not not too many. Uh, notable saves to make, even even in the part of the game where it was zero zero, and and there was like a uh, a good fifteen to twenty minutes where Chicago was probably the better team um, up until the goal, really. Um, that period, yeah, of that time middle was, part of the the first right, half, the, the first the first I, I guess the first quarter of the game, the first twenty two twenty three minutes, I thought DC was excellent. I was really pleased with what I was seeing. A lot of one and two touch passing, absolutely. Um, that's the kind of soccer they have to play. Um, where it's a collective uh, pass-and-move situation where it's not looking for a spindle to do the creating or for um, Rolf to pull a rabbit out of his hat because this team doesn't have a player. They don't have a Ignacio Piatti or a Giovinco to save save them when no one else is creating. It has to be everyone playing their part, and this was a good show of that where everyone on the field was keeping the ball moving quickly, um, Players were taking good first touches to set up a quick pass rather than just take a pat or take a touch and then look around and you know what am I going to do next? It was very quick. Um, and Chicago deserves some credit because they they didn't get just bowled over by that because they're pretty bad. Normally, when you play at that level against the Fire, you're going to score some goals already. Um, so they they held it together for a while. They got a little unlucky on the goal, the fact that um, Rosman Kocic made a good interception, but then I I think he was trying to make a back pass, but it was like 15 yards too short um, or five yards too far. Um, either way, uh, Pontius read the situation and jumped all over it. But as a performance, it was it was a good one to see. I don't know if it was the best because of the opponent, but it's still the kind of performance you want to see from this team heading into the playoffs at, at RFK. They should be looking to play like this against the better teams. This should be the benchmark now for the rest of the season. Yeah, we've said several times, and I, I've said many times, uh, that, that Benny Ball at its best is a, a system that can allow DC United to control a game with or without the ball. And and I think, especially in the second half, this was an example of of that, where Chicago, I mean, it's a game states thing. You're down one, two, three, four goals. You're probably going to have more possession, uh, especially when you're playing DC United, who is not a, a really possession-oriented team. But DC United, they had their, their block of eight, their, their, their two banks of four, and when they didn't have the ball, Chicago wasn't creating danger. They were holding the ball on the half of the field and never really putting much pressure on Bill Hamid's goal. I think they had six shots all game, and that includes long-distance shots. So Chicago did not create a lot, and it was it was really nice to see it and to have that feeling back of never really feeling like Chicago were, were ever likely to score. 
it, it was pretty nice to see the clean sheet and and to see the process by which the clean sheet was was won. Um, ben, I want to I want to talk to you some about Pontius's goal because yeah. it was nice to see Party Boy on the score sheet second week in a row that that Pontius was active uh, and influential in this game, but but the really big exciting thing from this game was the acceleration he showed on that goal, not just in reacting, but in physically getting up to speed so fast in those reacting to the, the two kind of botched touches by Chicago defenders to, to put him around John Bush for that shot on goal. Yeah, it was really great to see. And it, it may just be that he's finally back into, sh- not, not just back into shape because he's probably been back into shape for a while, but he's back into confidence uh, that he's been lacking uh, after the injuries that he's had. He, it's understandable that he's had a lack of confidence uh, in his in his body. So the fact that he uh, burst forward, split those defenders after the uh, awkward back pass that uh, the Chicago midfield tried to play uh, and was able to poach that off uh, was really great to see. And the fact that he was able to score that goal from a really difficult angle uh, is, again, uh, really good to see. Because while, like, if you just look from the, from, the mid, from the center of midfield camera, the typical uh, TV camera, that goal looked regular, it looked kind of easy, but when you really zoom in on it and really dissect it, it's apparent how difficult that goal was and how ridiculous that angle was. Yeah, in, if you read uh, Pontius' post-game quotes... Uh, it's amazing how much the game has slowed down for him these last couple weeks because that whole sequence happens really fast in real time. Uh, Almost to the point that you're just watching and you can barely figure out what's happening before the play is done. But he says, yeah, so Rolf pressured them and and they were forced into a bad touch and I I beat the defender to it, but the defender touched it away and it was going past the keeper, and I, I decided that I was just going to walk it out unless there was a window for me to shoot, and there was, so I shot and we scored. And you watch the replay, it's like, yeah, that's in slow-mo, that's what he was doing. It's just his brain was operating at a really high level on that play, and that's, I think, down to confidence. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, and being back, and it's awesome to see. Yeah, exactly. It's great to see that, and and it, a lot of people had a good game uh for United uh, on Sunday, but going forward, the it's it's great to see that Chris Pontius is back, and he's his him coming back is the probably the biggest asset uh, for United, the biggest new player basically available for United. <laughs> Not to steal a trope from Arsenal fans. I'm still I'm stealing that from. Baseball, not from Arsenal. No, never, okay. Ars- never Arsenal. I'd also add that the game might be slower for Pontius as well because he might have turned a corner physically. Um, yeah, you know the 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 speed that he got up to was old Pontius. Um, Twenty twelve Pontius, which is what we, we've seen very, we've only seen a very few times, and for him to. That wasn't like a play where he knew he was going to be sprinting. It was something where nothing was going on, and then all of a sudden it happened and he was the first person to figure it out, which is good for confidence wise, but that his body was able to get him to where he wanted to go uh, is also a really big thing. And they kind of, I mean, confidence won't make you healthier, but health will make you more confident uh, on the field. And maybe that's part of what's happening for Pontius is that 
maybe the multiple hamstring surgeries and all of that, it just took that much time to really get over them and get things right. Um, I am obviously that's speculation, but he did appear to have not just more confidence, but also just more physical ability to do stuff. Um, and that's, that's huge because if United adds another goal scorer out of midfield, um, and it's not just about the forwards, it's not a spindle and Roth having to score all the goals or set pieces being the other, um, avenue for scoring. If Pontius can keep scoring goals, then, uh, this is a much more dangerous team going forward and, and one that maybe teams are going to count out a little bit, um, because for a while there it just looked even, even before the six game winless streak, um, the games before that weren't good. They were just getting away with it. Um, so th- there's a chance that United might be overlooked a little bit and, and Pontius may be a factor in that being a, a, a problem for teams that are looking looking beyond D.C. to New York or Columbus or whoever. Yeah, I, I would say for the last 179 minutes of soccer, D.C. United have been playing at a pretty high level. Um, not the last full 180, because that first minute against NYCFC, just we're, we're going to write that off. Uh, how, but 179 I, minutes of scoreless, uh, of clean sheet soccer. I know I wasn't the only person at RFK who looked up at the, the scoreboard at like seven minutes and was like, good, it still says zero. Yeah, um, I did it too. Nice. I did it too. I did it for the entire first half until Pontius's goal, actually. I, every time I look at the clock, I was like, all right, we made it through five minutes. Okay, we made it through 15 minutes. Okay, we made it half an hour. Um and then we made it the full 90. It was, it was really nice to see. Uh, one part of that was actually uh, Taylor Kemp, Shooter, who his nickname is Shooter. That's what players on the team call him. It is my favorite nickname on the team, and I'm going to keep calling him Shooter until everyone else in the fan base does. So you may as well just give up the fight if you don't like calling him Shooter and call him Shooter. Whatever you call him, he had a, he had a really solid game in defense this week, and it's, I think it's been part of a trend. For him, he's really quietly, over the last several weeks, improved his positioning, his one-on-one defense, his uh, weak side rotations to help cover the back post when the ball is being crossed in from the opposite sideline. I think he's he, he's probably the most improved player of the team this season, uh, and not just from last year, but from the beginning of this season to now. He's improved his game, um, especially on the defensive side. Jason, I'm, am I imagining any of this, or or has Kemp has Shooter been been doing really well on defense? And you know, he didn't have the offensive game we we normally associate with him this week, but he still had himself a game. Uh, I I think since Corb was injured, um, I think Kemp realized that this was his chance to um, really take hold of left back because if you remember before that. Um, none of the fullbacks were really taking the job, and Korb was getting a lot of uh, appearances because uh, Korb is always going to provide you with pretty much the same thing. It's never the highest ceiling, but uh, he's very dependable, and you know what you're going to get when you put him on the field. And Franklin and Kemp were both not really playing that well, and um, Franklin got back on track on his own because he's been in the league and won some MLS Cups for a reason. Um, Kemp, I think, really found another level. Um, I think he realized it was a moment where he had, he needed to do that. Um, This team is still right now looking at fullback as a, uh, you know, there's no, there's no margin for injuries or suspension with, with this uh, roster. Um, 
Luke Nishu, you know, could blossom into a MLS uh, starting fullback at some point, but it's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks, and that's when it's going to count in the next couple of weeks. Um, so Kemp really, I think, maybe the team stepped up and challenged him. Maybe the coaching staff said, "Look, this has got to be your time. You've got to make you've got to make something of this this time because you're going to get the starts. We all know it, but you can't just say, "Well, I'm going to start, so I don't really have to pay that much attention to anything." Um, and to see him picking up, um, stepping up a level in terms of the mental side of defending is really important because the attacking side's been there. When he, he the day he was drafted, he was immediately the best crosser on the team and the best um, traditional attacking fullback on the team. Uh, that has never been an issue for Kemp. Um, the issue has always been processing what's going on quickly figuring out when you need to hold, when you need to step up. Um, not, and not just step up for attacking purposes, but stepping up to to defend, or, you know, defending higher up the field because you, you don't want to have to turn and sprint if you don't have to. Um, and a lot of that stuff is just something that you've got to learn over time. And so we've seen plenty of fullbacks, not just in D.C., but in MLS, never figure it out. Um, and there are plenty of fullbacks that are pretty good crossers of the ball that have never – they're – Coaches have just been never able to trust them on the other side of the ball. And Kemp is earning that right now, and he's earning it by thinking quickly and putting himself in good spots where we're not seeing him physically pushed around by some of the bigger or faster wingers, as we saw earlier in the season where it was uh, back in May, I want to say May or June, where we had two or three games in a row where it was like um, Dyron Espria from, from Portland and somebody else that was a big physical winger. Um, and it was just a mismatch because he couldn't figure out, he couldn't use his brain to avoid finding himself in the physical challenges that he was not going to win. And he's not falling for that right now. He didn't uh, find himself in foot races with Patrick Nyarko very much at all. Um, Lovell Palmer wasn't able to come forward and then confuse Kemp into staying wide too often or not coming out for anything Um so the decision-making side of the game has been, has been key from the start for Kemp, and we're seeing him make a lot of progress on that front. And if this is the level he can maintain and grow on from here, if it's not just a spurt of good form, uh, that's going to be big because if you can, it, this team really needs both fullbacks contributing to the offense, and Kemp's always going to have that. He's just got to be able to do the defending. And if, if he can play at this level or better going forward, then he's probably going to be United's left back for a long time. I think some of this may actually be similar to, to Pontius coming back where the game has slowed down for him a little bit. We the, Kemp had this ridiculous play uh, in the second half where Kofi Apari had slipped and uh, arguably gotten fouled uh, in transition, and Chicago had some numbers coming forward on the break, and Kemp was one of the guys collapsing into the box. The ball bounces around for a little bit, finally comes to Kemp when he's facing Bill Hamid's goal, and he just really calmly backheels it into the path of Kofi Opari, who plays it out, out of danger. It was just, it was really calm and really deliberate, and a backheel inside his own area. It, it should go on plays of the night, right. um, any any compilation video for and, the week, because it was skillful and clever and cheeky as hell. <laughs> but, but it won't, because apparently all of the uh, MLS media has forgotten that DC United exists. Not... Not goal.com. Uh, 
that really set itself up well today for joking because after multiple teams of the week just did not have DC United, Gold.com came in last and there's had Bobby Boswell as one of their center backs. So not everyone, just most. <laughs> I was glad because it confirmed to me that I was at that game and it was not some sort of bizarre fever dream that I woke up on Monday and was like, oh, that was fun. And then I, you know, all of a sudden I'd find out like, no, that didn't happen. You just you were asleep you, all day and you dream you dreamed that whole thing. You, you dreamed you drank a whole getting... lot of golden drunk, and <laughs> thirty six hours later you came too. Right. Well, I, th- I think if that, if you're asleep for thirty six straight hours, that's that's more of a hard drug problem, I would imagine. <laughs> that sounds like a heroin addict's problem, not a drunk's problem. I'm not even gonna touch that, dude. <laughs> There's a lot more we could talk about in this game. The relationship between Kitchen and Halsty apparently improving uh, by leaps and bounds. Halsty had his best game in midfield for United this year. Uh, Alvaro Saborio coming on as a super sub and looking dangerous and engaged the way he never seems to when he's a starter anymore. Uh, but the last thing I, w- I want to actually talk about, because we're, we're time-limited here, Ben, is, is what does this in- improved form, even if it wasn't the, the best performance of the year, uh, it, it was certainly improved, especially over recent weeks. What does that mean going into this last week of the regular season and into the playoffs? I mean, obviously confidence is a good thing. Uh, and as we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, they're still seeding to play for. Uh, DC United could still uh, end up anywhere between second and fourth, and that's a large difference. That's, it, it, yeah, it, it it's a difference between who you have to play. Obviously, we want to stay away from the uh, New York, New Jersey Metro Stars for as long as possible in the playoffs, and if we get second, we'll be able to do that. Um, it's also a whole extra game you have to play. Yes, yeah, if you end up in... Uh, third or four, third or fourth, you have to play an extra game, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, place gets the bye. Yes. Uh, three days after the season ends, you have to go back and play another game. Um, and then because after that, if you if you win, you get to then play more games. Yes. Um, exactly. Quickly though, uh, and and we've seen this team on a short rest not really do very well. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Matthew Doyle talked in his piece about uh kind of debunking the playing, well, trying to debunk the uh, playing at the right the playoffs, time. picking at the right time uh, myth. I, I didn't quite believe what he said because I, I think we've seen other examples that he did not mention. Right. Uh, I mean, but, all else, I, I understand his point that it, it it's kind of Alexi Lawless's general mantra that form is fallacy. Uh, the idea that, that your form is not your destiny. Right, right, of um, course. But this, past, this, past performance is not a guarantee of future results, but all else being equal, you would rather be hot right now. Well, yes, and this is a different DC United team. They're playing, they're coming into form in a different way than the 2014 team did, or especially the 2012 team did, which kind of yeah. changed its its method of playing in those last couple of games. They, uh, and so... If they can get hot on this kind of form, it might actually mean something coming forward in the playoffs. I would, I would yeah, say this isn't that, just a team that's gutting out results right yeah, now. I, I would say that this isn't so much hitting a hot streak as it is actually solving some real problems that the team had. Right, exactly. Um, they're moving towards a more sustainably good level of play, whereas even last year when they they got in the playoffs on a 
good streak. It was more of a hot streak that that team had already figured out most of what was going on and just was effective about what the, what was already the the finished product. Um, and I think this this year's team may be working its way towards finished product. Um, and and that you know you add the element of surprise in, um, which always matters in the playoffs. Um, there's a reason why someone like Dom Kinnear, for example, has gone far in the playoffs, and it's not because he he will work on a surprise and then bring it back for the playoffs, and so his team will suddenly play four two three one after playing four four two for like six months. Um, and he'll have worked on it. The, the, you know, the Dynamo at the time, now the Quakes, they'll have worked on that, but it's a surprise. Um, this team may be able to surprise some some people by playing a little differently than they have um, for most of the season, quite frankly. that you know, Against New York, something happened as far as confidence goes, and then this week we saw an improved version of DC United. We saw what Benny Ball's actually supposed to look like rather than the pejorative as it's often use whenever you want to just be negative in general. You you say it's Benny Ball, but then you don't have the specifics of why. <laughs> uh, this is what it's supposed to do, and this is like this is why when you have a nickname for a style of play, it should be what that style looks like at its best, and this is what it's supposed to look like, where there's a collective high speed of play, um, good speed of thought, the fullbacks get into the attack and help out. Um, and that's where you create your numbers from. When the things don't go wrong, that's not Benny Ball. That's when things aren't working. That's the bad version of, of the tactics at hand. Um, but anyway, uh, in general, I would say this is more the team solving some problems rather than the you know the job is done and they're just trying to be as good as they can. This is they've solved some problems at the last minute, but maybe that's got its own advantages. Yeah, it's actually similar to the, what the Timber seem to have done, although that's a more wholesale change yeah, of style that's, that's than Caleb complete, Porter. Um, I do like for 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 Portland. I do like that the Timbers have solved their issues apparently by going back, to, not just going back to their roots, but going like all all the way in on what Porter by going fundamentalist almost. Right, right. Like the, this team, the Porter's supporters, and I'm sorry, I didn't intend to rhyme there. But uh, the whole idea has been that Porter is like this incredible aesthetic experience watching his teams play, and it's not often that true. But they've moved to a 4-3-3, and they've sort of gone like Diego Valerian and Darlington Nagby are both playing midfield in a 4-3-3. Um, so that tells you pretty much everything of what's supposed to happen, and it's actually working, and they're very entertaining, and they completely ripped the Galaxy to shreds, which was very fun to watch because who likes the Galaxy? Seriously. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're on a different level as far as solving some problems because they really did a late season remodel the whole thing. They they did like an off season's worth of work in a week, um, and somehow <laughs> are making it work. I don't know if it's gonna work forever, but right now they've got everyone's like, well, I have no idea what to do against this guy or this. Team. So to bring it to bring it back to DC United real quick before we take a break, um, I agree that this uptick in form looks more. Uh, more based on fundamentals and less based on um, intestinal fortitude than than previous DC United run-ins have before. And I'm calling it right now. Somebody, it might be one of us, it might be someone at MLSsoccer.com or elsewhere, somebody, if DC United makes a run deep into these playoffs, is going to write a piece comparing Chris Pontius 
to Jermaine Jones arriving with the New England Revolution before they made their run to MLS Cup, uh, where they lost to the Galaxy, because that's what the New England Revolution do in the MLS Cup final. They lose to the Galaxy. We'll be right back to talk about the uh, big Sunday spectacular that is Decision Day coming up and about DC United's visit to Columbus that day. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine, his, one of their, their attorneys, Ben. Uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to turn our attention to the big end-of-the-year finale special big deal thing that MLS is going this Sunday. That doesn't start off much better than it ended. It's decision day Sunday, October 25th. Every single team in the East is going to play at 5. Every single team in the Western Conference is going to play at 7. There are 10 games in four hours. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, DC United will be taking part in this by traveling to Columbus for their season finale. We'll talk about that in a bit. But first, we're going to take a look at the other games that matter to us, or just matter in general. The most immediate game that matters to DC United's fate is Toronto FC at Montreal. Uh, DC United controls their own fate in this. Can't take first place no matter what happens. If DC United wins, they will definitely finish in second place in the East behind the Red Bulls. If United draws against Columbus, they will still claim second place so long as Toronto does not beat Montreal. If DC United loses, then they will not get second place. Columbus will get second place, leapfrogging us from third into second. And DC United will finish in third or fourth, depending on whether there's a winner in the Toronto-Montreal game. There's a winner, United will finish fourth. If there's not a winner, DC United will finish third. That's how it's going to. Those are the permutations of DC United. And so this TFC Montreal game, if DC United does not win, matters a lot as far as DC United seeding. Uh, Jason, what, what should we be watching for if we're lucky enough to have this game on a second screen while we're watching DC United? Uh, I guess the major thing with me is just. Drogba's been kind of uh, winning games on his own for a while, but then all of a sudden we have Ignacio Piatti uh, turning an otherwise completely uh, just a, a game that wasn't going anywhere, a kind of directionless game. Um, 
Biotti scored the winning goal from Montreal uh, over the weekend, and it was it was a really great goal. Um, it's kind of kind of uh, it kind of makes me nervous to see an impact team that isn't a mess in other departments, but has Piotti and Drogba able to change the game on their on their own, and then they're out there together working as one. So that's pretty nerve wracking. And then on the other side, uh, obviously. We're all going to be watching Giovinco because that's he makes you can't not watch him if you enjoy soccer. Um, so th- this game could get crazy. It could be all of these game game changing players uh, in the game um, doing battle. Nil, nil. Uh, right. That's the other problem is that because Mo- Montreal seems under under Morabiello, they seem to have realized that with Drogba and with Piatti, they're they're probably going to be able to create enough. Uh, they don't have to necessarily throw numbers forward to make things happen. Um, TFC, because of the nature of, of their team, it's very top-heavy, their roster. It's it's Giovinco, Bradley, and Altidore. And as as ever with Toronto FC, there are bad defenders playing really, really important minutes. Um, and so <laughs> it wouldn't be uh, TFC. Otherwise we, we used to think it wouldn't right. be TFC if they made the playoffs. Now that that's no longer a part of their identity, they really need to own this bad defenders. Which is, is a common thing in a lot of Eastern conference teams this year. Um, but, but Toronto is going to have to be more conservative because they can't, if they open up against teams, they're going to get caught, especially against a team that has Drogba and Piatti running around. Um, so we could see two teams just decide, uh, you know, to get a little too nervous and and end up in a stalemate. But I, I get the feeling that if there's a goal in the first half of this game, it could become uh, a pretty thrilling match where um, all of these big time players are trying to outdo each other, and it becomes less about two teams trying to hide their flaws and more about, well, these are the, these are the things that they are good at and um, seeing something like that. If there's a game, you know, if you don't watch the DC game, which I don't know why you're listening to this, if you are just not going to bother watching the United game on the weekend, but if you don't watch a game during that 5 o'clock window that it features DC, you probably should tune into the Montreal-Toronto game because it might be insane. Um, there's a high chance. There's a higher probability of that game just being ridiculous than the other games at that that time spot, that five o'clock block of Eastern Conference matches. You know, don't watch the Philadelphia Orlando game um, or New England versus NYCFC. Don't bother with those. No, never, although, never watch Orlando. Never. Although, if <laughs> if the Purple Lions want to get into the playoffs, no. they will need both of those games to be as bonkers as the Toronto-Montreal game could be because the only way Orlando gets into the playoffs is if New England has a hilarious and historic meltdown at the same time that Orlando goes insane uh, in their game. They have to make up eight goals. First, New England has to lose and Orlando has to win. And Orlando has to make up a goal differential deficit of eight goals compared to the Revs. I'm editing out all mentions of Orlando from this podcast. But Lewis Neal. But you're you're about to block all out Neil. mentions. Well, unfortunately. <laughs> um The thing is, I think what's about to happen is because Adrian Heath, after they won their last game, said he tried to pile pressure on Montreal by saying, Well, Montreal better win their next game because we're gonna win ours. Um, which is just a very Adrian Heath 
thing to say. Because he's a bad um, person and should feel bad. Well, no, it's more he's a, he's big he's a on bad that coach. He's a bad coach. He's a bad coach. Um, I think he was attempting to create a media storm that would happen in like the Premier League, but in MLS it doesn't really happen. Um, that quote didn't get around very much. I only saw it because I, I follow Paul Tenorio, um, who used yep. to cover United for, for when Steve Goff was uh, not around. And now he, he's doing excellent work covering Orlando. He's the, the best person to follow to, to find out what's happening with Orlando City mm-hmm. um, from a, a beat reporter perspective. And um, I think what's going to happen is that Orlando is going to go – go into the game assuming that they're going to get to at least three and possibly four goals. There, there's not going to be any um, patience or thought otherwise. It's just going to be we're definitely going to score enough goals to get our end of this done. Um, and what might, might happen is that they are wide open against a Union team who, granted, the Union were absolutely horrible um, this this weekend and uh, uh, made two subs at halftime for performance problems. Um but still, uh, it would it wouldn't. We've seen so many times in MLS a team that needs to do something big on their last game of the season, not just miss the mark, but like get humiliated. Um, maybe the most famous one was Toronto uh, needing a win in their final game of the season, losing five nothing um, to the Red Bulls uh, a few years back. And I'm sorry yeah. to our, our friends from Toronto for even bringing it up. Um, I think I think that scenario is more likely for Orlando than the inverse than actually getting the insane result that they need. Uh, right. Especially and, since the revs are not going to help them out. Uh, no, their, and their... the revs are not, the revs aren't playing well right now, but they're not playing badly to the point that they give up four or five against NY or even three against NYCFC um, who uh, lost Ned Grabovoy. I guess he, he came out injured. It didn't look like he was going to be playing this, this coming game. Um, though that does mean uh, a an opening for Thomas McNamara, so maybe NYC will score the goals that they need because their most valuable player uh, will be playing. Take Tommy that. Mac comes in and just scores four goals all by himself. Right, but that still means that Orlando has to get their end of the job done, and I just don't think it's going to happen. I think not so much confidence in the union, but I feel like Orlando's flaws are going to – bite them. I feel like it It would be just if the flaws of that team ended up being why they missed out on the playoffs because their winning streak right now it's four or five games in a row, I think it's five now, um, that winning streak is covering up the fact that this is a deeply flawed team. Um, and they have no real place. There's no real good reason that they're even in a position to have a miracle shot at the playoffs. They should have been out weeks ago. Um, it's not really a good advertisement for the Eastern Conference that Orlando is still in the race at all. Um, but, you know, people said it wasn't going to be a good conference, and it, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't, but it is a, a higher-scoring conference than the West, uh, top to bottom, which is kind of weird to think about uh, when you think about the offenses. That's just the state of the defense in the Eastern yeah. Conference this year. Um, there are some good attacking players and teams, obviously. Um, TFC's your Jovinkos, your Drapas. Yeah, TFC's pushing. They might get to 60 goals if that, that game against Montreal turns turns crazy. Yeah. So anyone who says the East isn't worth watching, there are a lot more goals in the East than there are in the West. Just just put it out there. Notwithstanding 5-2 uh, to two results between Portland and L.A. <laughs> um, 
speaking of the Western Conference, there are four teams vying for their final three spots uh, out there. Uh, Portland right now is uh, in fourth place on 50 points. Behind them, Seattle and Kansas City are both on 48. San Jose is on the outside looking in right now. Um, sorry, Portland's fourth. Fifth and sixth are Seattle and KC. San Jose is in uh, seventh right now on the outside looking in, but only one point behind uh, Sporting and, and the Sounders. Ben, who misses out in this bunch? Who, who doesn't get in? Uh, San Jose could win, and I guess they have a tiebreaker against Portland. So if, if Portland loses, the other three win, Portland is out. Portland, of course, has the very difficult task of hosting the Colorado Rapids on Sunday. I mean, um, I, I hope Portland wins because I want all of those other teams to be out. So if any of them are knocked out, that would be a delight. Um Right. Especially, none of them. None of them has a particularly easy game, other than arguably Portland. Uh, Seattle host RSL. Sporting host the Galaxy, and San Jose has to go to Dallas. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, any of them losing and being knocked out of the playoffs would be awesome. I would love for Seattle to inject being knocked out of the playoffs in the last week. That would be amazing. Uh, Peter Peter Vermees missing the playoffs is always delightful, so that would be great. Uh, my I guess my San Jose hate has faded somewhat recently. I think they're the ones I would least like to see knocked out. It would still be great if they were knocked out by Portland, but I think I would rather see Seattle or uh, Sporting Kansas City knocked out. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the the most likely result is San Jose doesn't get in. Um, I, I think that that will be preferable somewhat, depending on what the Red Bulls do in their game, because if yeah. the Red Bulls with, fail to win and Dallas wins, then the Metros do not get their second ever right. trophy. With, we are absolutely uh, hoping for Dallas to win by, uh, I, I guess, the goal difference as doesn't matter. As many goals as possible. Like it it doesn't matter. As many goals as possible. Um, it is important to note that the Red Bulls have had a horrible time playing at Chicago. And I know we all just saw the fire. We saw that they can't defend and are psychologically broken and are probably just – they would really rather just not have a game at all. Uh, they would rather just go have their offseason and be done with it. Um, and conversely, we also – you know, if you if you happen to watch the Red Bulls game uh, after you got home or, or dial it up on MLS Live sometime today – or I guess you're listening to this in the future from when we're recording it, um, you probably saw the Red Bulls score after eight seconds uh, and then Before eight complete, seconds. completely dismantle the Union. Uh, just run them over, run around them, run through them. Um, that's not a good combination for the Red Bulls to be in that kind of form against a fire team that looks about ready to just give up imme- like immediately upon the start of a game. Um but history has shown that, that the Red Bulls lost to the Fire earlier this year. They struck, they did beat them um, at Red Bull Arena, but it was a real struggle. Um, and the Fire are kind of built uh, to exploit New York's maybe their biggest flaw. They're not good against speed down the wings, and that's really all Chicago has. So um, there's maybe a glimmer of hope that the Fire, 
if the Fire get through the first half without conceding a goal, if they give up an early goal, they're going to lose badly, and New York's going to win the Supporter Shield. Um, but if Chicago can hang on uh, and get get to halftime without being behind, there's there's a, a little sliver of hope that the Red Bulls don't get a trophy that they'll, they'll never deserve because they're the Red Bulls. They don't deserve anything other than sadness. But, um, yeah, it really is down to the Fire just not not – falling to pieces immediately, and it does look like that's what's going to happen. Um, that's what I would expect to happen. I don't like it, but I, I do expect the Red Bulls to, if anything, run up the score. That Watching the fire um, against us, just watching you know the body language and the lack of... There, the effort was there, but it was definitely not with an intensity of anyone that believes that anything good's going to come of it. Um, I, it's a bad matchup as far as those things go, but maybe the history holds and maybe that whatever reason New York struggles in Toyota Park that continues for an unexplained uh, unexplained reasons and uh, Chicago Chicago would do us all a favor is what I'm getting at all they have uh, to I, do is get the draw that's all Chicago just, has to do a draw is a season defining one credible performance before you're done um, whether it's scoring goals uh, whether it's John Bush standing on his head Whatever it takes. Um, right. So, so we're putting out a we're putting out a personal appeal as DC United <laughs> fans who are constitutionally required to hate the Red Bulls. We're putting out a personal appeal to Matt Polster and Harry Ship and Mike McGee and and poor old Gill, asking you to not go quietly in that good night, to put up the fight of your lives and to get that damn draw against the Metros. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to win. Just put up the fight and don't let them win. All you have to do is not lose, and that will be a season-defining victory for you because you will have denied them trophy. And really, at this point, what else have you got to play for? Go out there and play hard, fire. Fire, fire, fire. Give it a try. (laughs) Old... Chicago try. Something to that effect. Right. Anyway, in games that matter more, uh, DC United is traveling to the, I'm still getting used to it, Mafre Stadium, the the weirdest phonetics in the league happening there. Uh, They're going to close out the regular season against Columbus Sunday at 5 during this huge slate of games. The crew... um, are going to be without their their two most important attacking players. They had a very good week this week in Toronto, winning two to nothing against TFC. But both Kai Kamara and Federico Higuain uh, picked up yellow cards in that one, and that puts them over the limit for accumulation. They're going to be suspended for this game. Jason, I'm I'm not mistaken. I don't think in calling them their two most important attacking players, how will their absence change Columbus's style of play? Uh, it's a big change for Columbus because they're really built to feed a striker like Kai Kamara, who's great in the air, who's uh, mobile, who's fast. Um, they don't have a replacement. Um, Jack McInerney didn't even make the bench last week, and in any case is not big enough to be considered good in the air. 
Um, Aaron Schoenfeld is the other target man on their roster, uh, and he's he doesn't get minutes for a reason. It's you know he's a project uh, at best. He's not a, a guy that any team would be comfortable starting up top. Um, so they don't have a replacement for Kamara at all. Um, they don't really have a replacement for Iguain either. Um, it could be Hector Jimenez. Uh, it could be Ben Spees coming into those roles, but neither of those players really open the game up like Iguain. They don't have his invention. Uh, they don't have his skill, definitely. Um, if I were Greg Berhalter, I'd be starting Jimenez, but um, Jimenez is sort of an odd player. He's played more at, at right back this season anywhere else, and yet he's also potentially in line to be the second choice, number 10. Um but in any case, they, they really – it puts more of an onus on Will Trapp to open up the field for them in, in distribution, but that means it's not going to be creatively opening up the field. It's more opening up the field so that the possession game can take place so that somebody else can do the creating. Um, there's more of a weight on their fullbacks and more more of a weight in general on crossing as a result of – Iguain not being there to create through the middle, um, and and Columbus does like to put in some crosses. They they cross quite a bit because of their their style of play is designed to spread teams out and then they hook crosses into Kamara. Um, so they're already comfortable with that, but I don't I think they sort of toe the line. Be, be, there there's such a thing as attempting too many crosses, and I think without Iguain in there, I think Columbus could be uh, drawn into just putting in crosses and that's it. And fortunately for United, they're very good at defending crosses um, with Boswell, with whether it's Birnbaum or Opare, um, with Bill Hamid coming off his line because Hamid is both big and powerful but also fast. Um, so that United is a good team defending that style of play. And I think um, Iguain actually ends up being just as critical a loss because he's that X factor that United hasn't dealt with as well. Um, in these games, the, the threat from underneath, whether it's Iguain, Justin Merrim still is going to be a problem cutting in from the left and looking to shoot. Um, we might see a little more of Columbus trying to set him up um, in lieu of their normal uh, normal mode of attack. But it, it's definitely a, a really great time to play them because these are players that they just they don't have the, the replacements for. It's not even... Not even just a step down. It's they don't have that type of player available. They've got a, and they've played the entire season in this setup with this this strategy. It's, it's Berhalter. This is what he wants. It's every game, home or away. This is what they do. And now two of the pillars of why they play that way are both out at the same time. Um, so United may have lucked into uh, the best moment to play Columbus really. That's good because we can win a buy this week and force Columbus to have to play midweek. And Iguain's not getting any. More importantly, Bobby Boswell, Marcus Alsti, Fabian Alvaro Saparillo, Chris Rolf are not getting any younger either. So, so this bye week is going to be important if United can get there. Ben, do we have to worry about not the Chicago Fire, but actual Fire making a surprise cameo? at the building formerly known as Columbus Crew Stadium because it's happened before. 
I mean, yeah, obviously it's happened before. Um, <laughs> it is the oldest soccer-specific stadium in Major League Soccer, so... Which is not to say it dates to the 70s or the 20s or something. It dates to the, the late 90s. 1999, to be specific. The um, very late 90s. Yes. And it is also not the oldest uh, soccer-specific stadium in the United States, because that... Uh, honor goes to the artist formerly known as Blackbud Stadium, uh, which also now has a new name. Oh, it does. That I, I cannot know. that I cannot remember off the top of my head, but it does. I had no idea the battery had renamed their stadium. Yes, they did. They got a new sponsor. So This is yes. what happens when we miss out on the Carolina Challenge Cup. I mean, I mean it, yes, we want Mandela. That's really important. It honestly is. But, but we didn't know about this name change. I, I did. Well, sort of. You don't know who your name is. So? <laughs> so your knowledge is incomplete, then. You, okay. Yeah, you came in here with half a thing. That, that, that's what you said. <laughs> okay, Jason. <laughs> the crew... You, you have said that the crew are, are a very naive team when it comes to playing against, especially against pragmatic teams. Um, I know I know some folks like Matt Doyle wrote this week that they had a, a, a more grown-up performance against Toronto where they shut it down in the back and, and made sure to clean sheet and just to get out with the win. Do you think Columbus has grown up, or are they still the, the naive team that, that Greg Bolter, Berhalter has had them as since he got there? Well, it, their win in Toronto really was something that the crew really haven't been able to, to pull off before. Um, that was the kind of game where I thought if they were going to win, um, and, and they did benefit from Giovinco being tired because he played only three days before having stepped off a plane, uh, quite literally flying from Rome to play score, and then three days later having to play again. Um, so he was exhausted, and, and it showed. Um, but I still think th- that this was the kind of game where I expected Columbus to have to win by scoring and not win by um, being smart. Uh, and being The thing is, Columbus is never going to be the team that just sits deep and defends in numbers. They're going to be the team that takes the ball and just keeps it for so long that, that you get tired and they beat you through their possession. Um, and I thought Columbus was going to have to turn that into some goals, and instead... They really used the ball correctly. They they kept it from Toronto. They they starved Giovinco of service to a little extent just by making Toronto have to defend so much and not giving them the ball. Um, they turned their chances into goals. Um, it helps to have someone like Iguain, um scoring late goals like that when the game's on the line. Um, I don't know that that's a permanent uh, new leaf for, for for Columbus. I don't know if they that they've figure it out forever. It is interesting. It will be interesting to watch because if they've figured it out from here on out, they're a very dangerous team. Um, if that group can suddenly defend with and without the ball, um, they, you know, that means that their, their major problem all year long has been an inability to keep goals out of the, out of their net or balls out of the back of the net. Um, Gaston Soro has helped because he adds some size and some physicality that wasn't there. Um, I still want to see what happens against a team that 
has you know Toronto doesn't you know Toronto played with Giovinco up front by himself because Josie Altador talked himself into a red card midweek um in one of the stranger red cards you're going to see because it was just from the bench out, it was out of the blue and from the bench and no one seemed to know what was going on um but that meant that they had Giovinco who's all of what 5-4 um up front by himself which meant no aerial threat whatsoever from Toronto and Columbus's biggest flaw defensively has been an inability to def- to defend through the air. Um, Sauro helps, but he doesn't cure the problem. He doesn't, you know, just just because he's big and strong doesn't fix the fact that Michael Parkhurst is five nine and one hundred and fifty pounds. Um, it doesn't fix the fact that Harrison Offal and um, Waylon Francis aren't good in the air either. Um, Columbus is always going to have trouble in the air, and I think. Against Toronto, it helped, It was a favorable matchup on the day. It's another level of challenge, I think, for them to play a team that can do things in the air between uh, set pieces with Boswell and possibly Burnbaum or possibly Opare, um, Kitchen and Halsey, the kind of guys that Columbus don't have. They don't have an extra guy to mark those players. Sabario at some point will come in. Um, Olsen may even be tempted to start him uh I don't think he's going to start him, but he may give it a passing thought just because Columbus is so weak in central defense in the air. Um, so it's, the most likely scenario is is Benny starting the same eleven for the oh yeah, no, week, which will be the first time this year that's happened. Right, and and that's that's a reasonable thing for him to do. I do think it'll pass through his head just for a second, like boy, Columbus really is bad in the air. Um, but I think it's more likely that Sabrio <laughs> just comes in early in the second half. Um, I think that's a thing where they're like, especially if the game is close, um, I think we just see Sabri earlier, not because someone else is poor, but because um, that's just such something they're so bad at. Um, and adding one more target is really going to be a problem for them. Um, so I do want, you know, if Columbus can come through that challenge and still look uh, strong in the back and, and still good going forward, if they're not giving up too much of their attacking side to be defensive, um, if they can come through that and defend in the air properly, then you've got a team that could go very far. They could easily win the Eastern Conference if, if they've turned over a new leaf for real. Um, but I do, I, I, I guess I'm what I'm getting at is I would qualify their success against Toronto with the fact that Toronto plays a style w- without Altidore on the field. They play a style that really plays into what Columbus is good at defending and doesn't exploit what they're bad at defending. Um, and United. You know, we may not like it aesthetically, but they play more in the air. There's more long ball. Um, there's more physicality involved, and that's what Columbus has struggled with. So if United can make it a little more about winning those aerial battles, then Columbus might have a problem on their hands. Uh, the, the last thing I want to talk about with, with crew is Will Trapp, who is excellent player. But, Ben, I want to know... If you would, if there's any universe in which you would take Will Trap over Perry Kitchen, I mean, obviously, people will accuse us of being biased, but I think that Perry Kitchen is a more complete player. Uh, Will Trap may be slightly better at being the deep flying passer, although Perry Kitchen has shown a resurgence in the past couple of weeks in his all around game. Did you may... see that run against the fire? I'm getting there. I'm getting okay, there. I'm excited. talking about. I'm talking about passing. I'm talking about passing right now. Uh, yeah, but 
Whereas Trap might be in some people's minds ahead in the deep-lying passing. Perry Kitchen is obviously ahead in the physical part, uh, making good runs, being able to shoulder people off the ball, being able to act physically, being able to uh, commit a cynical foul when it needs to happen. I mean, Perry Kitchen is great at all of those things. So, And we've seen in uh, 2014 his ability to step it up in his passing game, and I think we've been able to see it recently in his ability to get involved in the attack and to put in, he put in a sublime through ball in this game as well. And I think that when you look at their full package, I think Perry Kitchen should be ahead of Will Trap. But knowing Jurgen Klinsmann, I would prefer that Will Trap be ahead because he will obviously break Perry Kitchen <laughs> if he gets called up to the national team. Which is a really difficult do, knock wood, uh, because Pitchin's more machine than human at this point. At, at all points, he was. It's it's true. I watched him do over 100 push-ups in preseason one time, like the first training session of preseason. He just came in and knocked out 100 push-ups like it was not not a problem. I mean, yeah, we saw him also get do the ice bucket challenge with no change in his <laughs> facial expression. <laughs> that was incredible. He really just didn't flinch when someone poured ice water over him. He was just nothing, stone cold. Nothing happened to me just now. <laughs> it was like a cold breeze came up, and he was like, okay, I'm going to tough this out. This slightly chilly breeze. Um, Jason, to put a more conciliatory tone, is there room for both Perry Kitchen and Will Trap in the national team once Jurgen Klinsman rides off into the sunset slash is sent out of town on a rail? I think there is, um, especially since Trap likes to sit a little deeper and, and distribute. Um, he's he's a good midfield metronome. He's someone that can set the tempo for his team. Um, Kitchen would like, to, I think, ideally would, would fit in a little further ahead um, and be doing a little more of the dirty work, a little more of the physical side of the game. Um Having, you know, they'd have to sort out some of the um, long-range distributing uh, duties because Kitchen, we've seen, tends to hold that role, and that's actually been one of the issues that he and Halstead have had is who's going to be that guy um, for United's midfield? Who's going to do the the majority of that work? Um, and and that would take some. It would take some time, and that's part of the problem with Klinsman is that he's going to cycle. You know, every game it's going to be a new. Not just a new midfield, but probably an entirely new lineup and a new formation. Um, I think the two of them, either in a four-two-three-one uh, as the two, or if 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 it's a four-three-three and you play trap deep and Kitchen becomes the runner in the midfield, I think he's capable of of playing that role. Um, I think they can work as a partnership. I don't know that they're going to get the chance because Michael Bradley's not going anywhere. Um, there are a few other, um, you know, Jermaine Jones appears to be untouchable under Klinsman, um, which is a problem for Kitchen more than Trap. Um, so, now granted, uh, you know, Jones did play left midfield most recently, which is ridiculous. But on the other hand, that reflects how untouchable he is under Klinsman, is that 
given the choice of playing a left midfielder or playing a central midfielder who's named Jermaine Jones, Klinsman chose the latter. He chose, He was like, why don't you just go play on the left? Uh, let's see how that works. Um, so that's going to be a problem for, for the two of them getting in together. Um, on the plus side, they're both still quite young. Kitchen's only 23, which is something we forget a lot. Um, because he's been around for forever, but he actually, if he had gone to college for four years, he would be in his second MLS season. Um, Trap is what twenty one, twenty two. Um, yeah, he's so still pretty. Young. They've got plenty of time, um, and hopefully, when the next coach comes in, I'm saying when, not if, because I mean, come on, uh, it's abundantly obvious that if not for an onerous contract. Uh, it would be time to move on. Um, Klinsman is going to be coach for the next 50 years. Don't offer a national team coach an eight-year contract ever. For if No matter what country you are and no matter how good the coach may, may you may think he is, um, if you're Grenada No and matter what pictures Jose he may Mourinho, have. Right. If Jose Mourinho offers to coach the Grenada national team, they shouldn't offer him an eight-year contract. Um, so... There's going to be a day where they get their look, I think. And I do think, from a national team perspective, we shouldn't get caught up in trap or kitchen. It should be, how do we get these two very good players on the field together? Um, or or at least, how do we make it so that somebody else is keeping one of them off the field? That's I mean, fine it, as well. It's obvious how we're going to get them on the same field together. They're going to play both play striker. I was thinking fullback. But, yeah, I think, but, I think but, Kitchen's but, actually but, played but, fullback yeah, before, so right that might be a little too on the nose. Yeah, exactly. Kitchen, Kitchen right back and Trap plays attacking midfield. But Kitchen has actually played right back in, a, and in real games. So obviously he can't play right back for Klinsman. I think I think maybe we see them both on the wing. Sure. Like in the, the outside of the three in the 4 2 three, one with Bradley at the number 10 and Bedoya and Corona in those deeper spots. Right, they're natural positions. Right. Uh, bring it back. Or, to or maybe a 4-3-3 with uh, Trap and Kitchen wide and then Bill Hamid at the point. <laughs> Why not? I mean, crazier things have happened, right? No, no, they haven't. <laughs> bring it back to this Sunday... Um, Ben, what is it you want to see from DC United on the field at Mafray Stadium? I, I mean, I want to see them put together a complete game like they did against the Chicago Fire, but against a team that's going to the playoffs. Obviously, uh, New York City. I'll be City. a shorthanded team. Sure, but uh, this, uh, the uh, Columbus Crew are better, even shorthanded. They're better than NYCFC. They're better than the. They're definitely better than the Chicago Fire. So, I want to see them. It's going to be another step up. It's not going to be a full. Uh, yeah, obviously they're not going to be a full strength, but it's going to be another step up for them if they can uh, put it together against the uh, Columbus Crew. And that's what I want to see. I would like to see another solid victory, uh, another step forward, another uh, going, doing well going into the playoffs and. Uh, clinching a first round bye. All right, and on that hope, we will end the show. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu. 
and now starting today as we record this, find Black and Red United on Instagram at Black and Red United. Uh, send us your emails, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, mostly tell a friend about us. When you're at the bar watching the game on Sunday, when you are around the no longer actually existing water cooler work talking with your friends about soccer and your colleagues about soccer, uh, mention Black and Red United, mention Filibuster, because you're a nerd, right? You're listening to a soccer podcast. Why wouldn't you mention us? Come on. Where anyway, do you find yourself at a goat farm? Tell the goat. If you if you find yourself at a goat farm, take a picture and email it to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, actually do that. <laughs> telling telling Jason on a podcast is a waste of time, but emailing us goat pictures is always going to go over well. Jason just got really excited right there. So that he actually really cares about that, so you should do it. For Jason, for the goats, for Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.